All right, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. By a show of hands, how many of you have heard of Peyton Manning? All right, just about 100%. Uh, by a show of hands, how many of you have heard of a guy named Ryan Leaf? About half the room. So Ryan Leaf uh, was the second player drafted in the 1998 NFL draft right after Peyton Manning. Uh, he was a great college quarterback, Heisman Trophy finalist, and going into the draft that year, there's a lot of debate, a lot of speculation over who was going to have a better career, Peyton Manning or, or Ryan Leaf. Uh, but they were both assumed to, to be great. Like whether you took you know, Ryan Leaf number one or Peyton Manning number one, man, you couldn't go wrong with either. You were going to have your franchise quarterback for, for a foreseeable future. Now, as many of you know, Peyton Manning went on to have a, a Hall of Fame career. He won two Super Bowls, received multiple MVPs, broke a lot of records, uh, and he's been in all kinds of different media and commercials like Papa John's, Nationwide. Uh, I love his Monday night football thing with Eli Manning. Like, everybody knows Peyton Manning, and everybody loves Peyton Manning. Ryan Leaf, on the other hand, played in just 25 games and lasted only four seasons. And uh, he's actually considered by ESPN to be the biggest bust in the history of professional sports. Uh, how about having that as your legacy? So what happened to Ryan Leaf? What went wrong with this guy who seemed to have so much promise ahead of him that was expected to be a great NFL quarterback? Well, for one, he played poorly, uh, but there's a lot of guys who play poorly and can kind of turn it around. It was, it was deeper than that. He had a bad attitude, uh, he wasn't coachable, and he was lazy. And after a few years of this behavior, really nobody in the league wanted anything to do with him. No team was willing to take a chance on him, and he ended up retiring at just 26 years old. You see, Ryan Leaf's story is not a story of a quarterback who didn't have enough ability. Like, he had on paper the, the talent to be a great NFL quarterback. He had a big arm. He was the right size to play the position. He had everything that he needed to succeed in the NFL. His story is really a story of wasted potential. It's a story of a guy who didn't become all that he could have. Now, we are in uh, week two of a teaching series called Broken Mirrors, and, and during this series, we're looking at different characters that we find in Hebrews chapter 11, and what all of these characters that you, you study and read about in Hebrews chapter 11 have in common is that they were all broken and flawed. They all had issues, they all made mistakes, but what we see is that broken people can still reflect a perfect God. Our God specializes. Our God is actually an expert in using broken, flawed, messed up people. And today, we're going to take a look at one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, the story of Samson. And uh, just like Ryan Leaf, Samson is a story of wasted potential. It's a story of a guy who wasted and squandered what God had placed inside of him. But it's also a story of God's gracious redemption. And it reminds us that even in our worst moments, when we hit rock bottom, when we feel like we have messed up beyond recovery, God is still able to use us. And I really believe this week, as I've been praying and studying, preparing for today, that this message uh, is going to serve as a word of, of warning and caution for many of us, but it's also going to serve as a word of hope 
and encouragement for many of us as well. So if you've got your your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Judges chapter 13. Uh, Judges chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the life of Samson and jumping all the way through to chapter 16. Obviously not going verse by verse, but looking at different aspects of his story today. But in Judges 13, starting in verse 1, you'll see the, uh, the verses on the screen behind me. It says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So when you read and study the the book of Judges, you see this cycle that repeats itself over and over and over. And the cycle is this, disobedience, defeat, distress, and deliverance. So the Israelites, what you see in Judges is first, they'll, they'll disobey God. They disobey his word. They worship false gods. They turn away from God. They disobey him. And then God would remove his hand of blessing and protection from his people and one of the the neighboring uh, nations, one of their enemies would come in and would defeat them. They would take them as as slaves. They would be captive. Then they would find themselves in a a moment of distress where they recognize what they've done and they call out to God to to rescue them, to deliver them from where they, they, they found themselves. And then you see God deliver his people time and time again. He would raise up these different judges who would go and be a a rescuer for his people. And here in Judges 13, the Israelites, they've now been enslaved for 40 years. This is actually the the longest amount of time that they were enslaved during, during this period. And they had been oppressed by a group known as the Philistines. And uh, the Philistines, they were an advanced military nation, and they were a bad group of people. Wicked people, not the kind of people you want as enemies, not the kind of people you want to mess with, but they've been oppressed and taken captive by them. And listen to what it says in verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and you're going to give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So once again, God chose to raise up a new judge to go and to deliver and rescue his people. And this judge would be set apart from birth. He would be a Nazarite. And to to be a Nazarite had a few different kind of qualifications and and implications uh, to it. For one, uh, you would not cut your hair. Uh, Secondly, you wouldn't drink any alcohol. And third, you would never touch anything that was dead. I know that's kind of a a random group. Don't cut your hair, don't drink, and don't touch anything that's dead. But that was kind of the, the requirement. And typically, people would take the Nazarene vow for just a short period of time. But this judge that God was raising up was to be a Nazarite for his entire life. He was being set apart for a special purpose. And look at what it says in verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. So from the time of his birth... God had his hand on Samson's life. He blessed him with supernatural strength, supernatural abilities, and Samson had all the talent, all the potential in the world. 
And he had a very special calling on his life. God had set him apart. God had called him to be the people's deliverer, to rescue the Israelites from the Philistines. But what we're going to see today as we study the, the story of Samson is that he wasted this incredible potential that God had placed inside of him. You see, just like Samson, God has placed tremendous potential inside each and every one of us. Oh, he may not have gifted us with supernatural strength, unless you're somebody like Zach Murphy. Uh, you probably don't have supernatural strength, uh, but God has placed incredible talent and potential inside each and every one of us. He's blessed us uh, with unique gifts and abilities, and God has a special calling on our life. He has invited each and every one of us to be a part of his mission to be a part of redeeming and rescuing his people. Each and every one of us, he's gifted us, he's equipped us, and he's called us. And here at LifePoint, one of our, our core values is reaching priority, reaching priority. And we believe that God has called us to advance his kingdom here on earth and to do whatever it takes, whatever we need to do to reach people for Jesus. And that starts first here in, in Westerville, and our schools and our communities and our places of work and our neighborhood, it starts here in Westerville. It expands uh, throughout Ohio, and you see our different campus locations all throughout central Ohio. And ultimately, it goes to the ends of the earth. It goes to the nations. And God has gifted us, and God has set us apart for this special purpose, for this calling, for this mission. But here's the question that I want each of us to, to consider today in light of Samson's story that we're gonna look at. Will we become all that God has called and created us to be? Will we become all that God has called and created us to be? Will we maximize the potential that God has placed inside of us? So today, I, I wanna do something a, a little bit different. It may sound odd for a, a church service, but I want to give you a game plan. I want to give you a formula for how you can be sure that you waste your potential. For how you can be sure that you don't become all that God has called and created you to be. And here's why I want to do that. Because I believe that if we know how to waste our potential, then we can avoid wasting our potential. We can avoid wasting what God has placed inside of us. So how can we make sure that we waste our potential? I'm gonna give you three things that we see from Samson's life. And the first is this. If you're going to waste your potential, follow your desires. Follow your desires. In Judges chapter 14, just a chapter over, in verse one it says this. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Isn't there some hometown girl that you may be interested in, Samson? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. You know, Samson's primary focus in life was doing what he thought would make him happy. If he had a desire for something, he indulged it. If he wanted something, he took it. 
and nothing was going to get in the way of what he wanted. Samson was going to do what Samson wanted to do. And when he saw this Philistine woman that he was attracted to, that he liked, he wanted her to be his wife, even though she wasn't a believer, even though she had different values and beliefs. In fact, she was from the very nation, the very people group that had been oppressing the Israelites, the nation that he was called to rescue his people from. He's now marrying a girl from there. But Samson did not care about any of that. He was going to do what made him happy in the moment. You see, Samson was a a guy who never considered the the consequences of his actions. Any of you know anybody like that? He uh, never thought before he acted. He never played out his decisions to to their logical conclusion. Instead, he was impulsive and did whatever he wanted in the moment. And isn't that such a picture of the way that so many people live their lives today. You know, for, for many people, their, their primary focus in life is doing what makes them happy. They look to indulge every desire they have. They look to take what they want, and they don't consider the consequences of their actions. They don't consider how this is going to affect their life. They are simply led by their feelings and their desires moment by moment, doing what they want. And you hear people say things like, man, just, just follow your heart. You know, just do what makes you happy. If it's right for you, go for it. If it feels good, do it. Don't think, just act. Don't worry about the consequences. You only live once. Go and make yourself happy. Follow your heart. But here's the, the problem with this kind of thinking. You can't trust your desires. In fact, Jeremiah tells us that our heart, the source of our desires, is deceitful above all else. Like our our desires are not looking out for our best interest. Our desires aren't thinking about our future and thinking about the calling God has placed on our life. Our desires simply want to be satisfied in the moment, regardless of what the consequences may be. And yes, as, as, as followers of Jesus, over time as we follow him, our desires line up more with God's desires. God begins to sanctify and redeem the desires in our heart. They begin to change over time. But even as followers of Jesus, man, we still have a sin nature. We still battle with our flesh and our desires, the desires in our heart, if left unchecked, without guardrails, without boundaries, they can lead us to make some very impulsive decisions that can undermine what God has called us to, what God has set us apart for. Man, so I just wonder for for you today, and what desires have the ability to lead to your destruction? Like, what desires in your heart can undermine your potential? Like, where are you tempted to be impulsive, to act without thinking about the the consequences, without thinking about how it's going to impact other people? Maybe for you, it's it's some financial desires you have. Maybe for you, it's 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 something sexual. Maybe it's some kind of substance. Maybe it's your 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 temper. But where are you tempted to act impulsively, to do what you want in the moment without thinking about the ramifications? Samson was a guy who, time and time again, lived impulsively. 
who followed his desires, who never considered the implications, the consequences of his actions. And you see this impulsiveness, this following of his desires undermine and waste his potential. But then secondly, if you want to waste your potential, if you're taking notes, make small compromises. Make small compromises. So Samson, he, he's traveling now to, to go and, uh, and, and meet this Philistine woman that he wants to, to have as his wife. And while he's traveling there, it's this weird kind of crazy story, this lion uh, jumps out of nowhere and attacks him. And Samson goes just beast mode on the lion and rips the lion apart with his bare hands. It's this incredible feat of strength. But then look what happens in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 14. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, talking about the Philistine woman, Samson turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. You read this, you're kind of like, okay, what, what's going on here? Why are, are these details being included in the story? See, this was the first of many times that Samson would break his Nazarene vow. He touched something that was dead, which was forbidden. And it didn't really seem like that big of a deal in the moment. It was just this small compromise of his values and his beliefs. But we begin to see Samson make small compromise after small compromise. And for a while, there weren't really any significant consequences. He would make a compromise and, and nothing would seem to happen. And he started to assume, you know what, it doesn't really matter. Like, what's the big deal if I compromise? What's, you know, what's you know, going to come about? What's the harm of me doing this? But these small compromises that Samuel made time and time again, they eventually led to some pretty significant compromises. Compromises that he never imagined he would make. Compromises that had serious and lasting consequences. And that would eventually cost him his potential. You see, when, when, when Satan is tempting us, Satan doesn't normally tempt us with some major moral compromise. Like he doesn't come to us and say, hey, you should steal from your job. Hey, you should become an addict. Hey, you should cheat on your spouse. Hey, you should abuse your power. He's not that obvious about it. No, no, no. He's much more subtle and subversive. And he begins by tempting us with these small, seemingly insignificant compromises. Things like, hey, just, just look one time. It's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody's going to find out. Just look one time. Or, hey, just, just try that once. It won't become a problem for you. You're not going to abuse that. Just try that once. Or, hey, just, just text them one time. Man, your spouse isn't going to find out. Nothing's going to come of it. Just text them one time. Or, hey, just, just fudge the numbers at work once. It's not really that big of a deal. And typically, when you make these kind of small compromises, there aren't any noticeable consequences. You know, we do something and we seem to get away with it. And it's kind of harmless. It may even be, be fun at times. But the problem is that it never is just one time. 
these small compromises begin to compound over time and eventually they lead us to make some pretty significant compromises in our values and our beliefs where we do something that compromises our marriage or that compromises our family or that compromises our career or that compromises our our reputation and our, our integrity. Listen, making small compromises that seem harmless, that seem insignificant, it is a slippery and dangerous slope. And Satan knows that if he can get you to just take that first step, to just make that first compromise, even if it seems so small and so harmless, so insignificant, he knows that he has often won the battle because you will willingly walk down that path of destruction one small compromise at a time. He comes to you in a way that's so subtle, so harmless, getting you to make compromise after compromise to your values, and eventually it leads to something that's outside of your control. And we're going to see that with Samson, these small compromises compounding and growing until he makes a compromise that he is unable to come back from, which leads us to number three. If you want to waste your potential, develop a prideful heart. So as you read the, the Samson of story, uh, the, the story of Samson, it starts to take some, some pretty crazy turns. Uh, Phil, the, the Philistines end up making him angry, and he murders 30 of them and sets their, their fields on fire, which, of course, they're not you know, too pleased about. Um, so they end up retaliating and responding by murdering Samson's wife. And he's angry, he's frustrated, and he finds this donkey's jawbone and goes and kills a thousand of them by himself. And there's just this constant conflict and tension building between Samson and the Philistines. But the Philistines, they can't figure out how to stop Samson. He's just, he's too strong, he's too powerful for them. But then Samson makes his biggest mistake of all. He falls in love with another Philistine woman. He hasn't learned his lesson. He falls in love with another Philistine woman named Delilah. And the Philistine rulers, they, they come to her and they, they bribe her and say, hey, we'll pay you if you can figure out the, the secret to his strength. So she goes to Samson and begins to beg him and prod him and cry and asking him to, to tell her, hey, how are you so strong? What's your secret? And Samson, he wasn't, he wasn't dumb. He knew what she was doing. So he started to tease her and play tricks on her and lie to her. But she just kept coming back. She didn't stop. She was begging him. She was nagging. She was crying. And eventually he had enough. And he tells Delilah the secret to his strength, even though she has already tried to kill him three times. And you read this and you're like, okay, what, what is wrong with this guy? Why is he not thinking? Why would he do that? And it's because he was arrogant and he was proud. And ultimately, he didn't really care if she knew his secret because he thought that he could never lose his strength. He assumed, you know what, I'm, I'm untouchable. I'm invincible. Nothing could ever happen to me. I'm in complete control of my life. But listen to what happens, Judges chapter 16, 18 through 21. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. 
After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and she began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. I mean, you see the pride, you see the arrogance. Hey, nothing's going to happen to me. I've got this. And then what I think is one of the, the, the scariest lines in all scripture, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Verse 21, then the Philistines, they seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Here was Samson's fatal mistake. He believed that his potential came from himself. He assumed that he alone was responsible for his strength and his ability and his talent, and because he was responsible for it, he could never lose it. And he ignored the fact that ultimately it all came from God, and his pride, his, his arrogance, it led to his fall. It led to his destruction. You see, all of us face this, this same temptation. We're tempted to believe that our potential comes from ourselves, that we're the ones responsible for our talent and our ability and our opportunities, that we're in complete control of our life, that we've got it handled. And we start to, to believe things like, man, you know what? I don't really need God. We would never say that out loud. We would never articulate it. But many times that's the way that, that, that we live. As if, man, I don't really need God. It's great that he's around. It's great that he's in the picture. But at the end of the day, I've got this. I can handle it. I've got it covered. I'm in control of the situation. But here's what we need to understand. The potential inside of us does not come from us. Like we're not the ones responsible for our gifts and our abilities and the opportunities we have in life. No, God has graciously given them to us. And the potential that exists inside each and every one of us, it's not for us. It's not for our glory and our fame and our recognition. No, any potential that God has given you is for his glory and for the benefit of others. But Samson failed to see that his gifting and his talent came from God. He failed to realize that God had called him, that God had set him apart for this special purpose, a purpose that was greater than himself. And instead, he followed his desires, making impulsive decision after impulsive decision, not thinking about the consequences. He made small compromises that seems insignificant, that seem harmless, that began to snowball, and he developed this prideful heart, this arrogance, this, this, this belief of, I can do this by myself. I'm untouchable. Nothing can happen to me. And his story ended up being a tragic story of wasted potential. And it serves as a word of caution, a word of warning to, to each and every one of us. Because all of us, God has placed tremendous potential inside of us. And God has called us to a special purpose, something bigger than ourselves. God has invited us into his story to join him in his mission to redeem this world. And so my, my, my encouragement, my challenge to you today is this, man, don't waste 
what God has placed inside of you. Don't, don't squander it. Don't miss out on all that God has called you and created you to be because you're impulsive or because you compromise your integrity or because you walk around with arrogance. Don't waste what God has placed inside of you. But maybe your story, if you were honest today, is a lot like Samson's story. You've made some, some poor decisions in life. You've compromised your, your values. You've compromised your, your integrity. And you feel like, man I've, man, I've just wasted it. I've wasted what, what God has placed inside of me. I, I haven't lived up to what God called me to or what God created me to, to be. Here, here's what I love about Samson's story. When you flip over to, to Hebrews chapter 11, which is referred to as the hall of faith, the heroes of our faith, listen to what you find in Hebrews chapter 11. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Samson is included in the hall of faith. Samson is listed among the greatest heroes of the faith. And why is that? Because at the end of his life, after all the brokenness, after all the failure, after all the mistakes, he finally humbled himself before the Lord and finally submitted himself to God's plan for his life and listened to how the final moments of Samson's life ends in Judges 16. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. You see the humility. You see he finally recognized who gave him his potential, who gave him his strength, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached down toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them. His hand, uh, right hand on the one and left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed more when he died than while he lived. See, Samson's story is ultimately a story of, of God's gracious redemption. You know, despite Samson wasting his potential, and God redeemed it. And he used Samson's failures and his brokenness and his mistakes to fulfill his purposes. And it's ultimately a story of hope, a story of, of, of redemption. It's a reminder to us that no matter what has happened in our life, no matter how poorly we've done, no matter how much we've messed up and dropped the ball, God is still going to advance his kingdom. And nothing's going to stop that. The purposes God has, God is still going to use that. So listen, God can redeem your story. Maybe you feel like, man, it's just, things are just too messed up. Or you're too far into your story. There's just too many wasted years. Listen, God can redeem it. Even the worst parts. The failures, the mistakes, the brokenness, the hurt, the regrets. Man, God can redeem it. And God can use it because God has called you and invited you to something greater than yourself. He's invited you to this mission. 
man, God doesn't waste any of it. He uses all of it. So today, what I, I want to do in, in just a moment is I want to invite all of us to, to just pray a, a, very, a very simple prayer. And the prayer is this, God, help me to become all that you have called and created me to be. And whether you're a teenager and you're looking at years and years ahead of life, or you're in my stage of life and you have young children, or you're an empty nester, or you're later on in life, whatever stage of life you're in, we can all pray this prayer, God, help me to become all that you have called and created me to be, God. Help me to fulfill the potential that you've placed inside of me, not for my glory, not for my recognition, but for your glory alone. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I I just want to give you just a moment in the the quietness of your heart just to, to, to voice this prayer to God. God, help me to become all that you have called and created me to be. God, we thank you that that you choose to use us. God, that you have uniquely designed us and gifted us for for a special purpose. Thank you for inviting us into your story, into your mission, and and giving us something greater to to live for. And God, my, my prayer today is that we would become all that you have called and created us to be. God, that the the gifts that we have, the resources we have, the opportunities we have, God, that we would not waste them, Lord, that we would not use them for our own gain and our own fame, Lord, but that we would use them to join you in your mission, God, that we would make them about your glory and for the benefit of others. God, keep our eyes focused on you, God. Help us to not live impulsively following the desires of our heart. God, help us to to guard our our values and our beliefs and our integrity. And Lord, help us to to live with a spirit of humility, recognizing, God, that we can do nothing apart from you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for using us in spite of ourselves. Jesus, we love you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.